What is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court for today, Wednesday, December 28th, 2022, the final episode of 2022. I am your host, Sean Murphy, alongside my guy, Jeff Iafredi. Jeff, what's going on, brother? Good to see you, my guy. Yes, good to see you guys. I uh, got my Detroit basketball shirt on uh, over here, as you can see. I was there last night, and uh, I can't wait to get into it because uh, I got some... Uh, funny stories that I told you guys already, but uh, a lot to get into, man. It's good to see you guys. Yeah. I, I'm just blaming you single-handedly, Jeff. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I, I also, but here as well is my guy. Troy. Troy last night as, as a recording, we're recording on Tuesday night. Last night, you you were at a Monday night football game, and you ended up making a pretty damn good decision missing a Pistons game. Yeah, yeah, certainly did. I was at uh, Chargers and Colts on Monday night, and it was a great football game. Uh, yeah, certainly Chargers proved themselves as a playoff team. Uh, we'll see what they can do. Justin Herbert, uh, top five player, uh, quarterback, I would say, in the league, and uh, it was great to see him in person. Um, and, uh, I, I very much enjoyed my Monday night with family and wife and it was just a great, great opportunity. Oh, you, guys all have, you guys all have matching Herbert jerseys. We do. Yes. Yes, we did. Yeah. So Troy, you want to tell a little bit of a background on that? Yeah. So my stepdad, uh, is coworkers with Justin's dad. They've known each other for 20 plus years. Um, they, he's met Justin, I think just once when Justin was like 13 or 14 years old. Um, so Justin does not know my stepfather, but, they certainly, uh, his, his father and my stepfather get along uh, great. And uh, he, his dad was at the game, got to wave hello to him. Uh, he, he saw us, and my stepdad was able to walk down and talk a little bit with him. So, yeah, it was a great, great opportunity, small world. Um, never in a million years would you think that, you know, when you're meeting your coworker's 13-year-old son, he'd be an NFL player, let alone uh, the success Herbert's had in year three. Uh, so pretty darn cool, Not a small world. Uh, yeah. but the connections are, are really, really neat when you, when you can make them in this that's, world. That's so. a random connection. That's, it, it's that's a random connection, but yeah, just uh, like randomly it. know, like, it's yeah. just like your stepdad's like, Oh yeah, my coworker, his son's Justin Herbert. Yeah. Like, yeah. What yeah. the? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I got to imagine. Yeah. I, I'm sure he doesn't bring that up very often. I'm sure it's something he doesn't like to talk about. You oh, know he I mean? talks about it. He talks about it. I know. I'm being very sarcastic. <laughs> very sarcastic. But speaking of things to talk about, guys, who we for the final episode of 2022? Is, is it a packed one? So we should we may as well get right into it. Our guy, Detroit Kool-Aid, should be joining us here pretty soon. Brandon Dent, Detroit, uh, Pistons beat writer for Warward Sports. He is just running a little bit late, so we're just getting this thing here started because this is from Half Court Reach, and every week we talk all things NBA basketball. If you like that, be sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, and be sure you share it with your friends and join in the conversation down below in the comment section. But also, be sure you follow all of us on social media so you don't miss anything that we're up to, like my guy at Jeff Ia Brady, my boy Troy Sergi44, my guy Kool-Aid at Detroit Kool-Aid, and myself at Sean F court but with that gentlemen let's get right into it because the nba world was a busy one this weekend in particular the detroit pistons there's a lot to dive into there first of all real quickly troy i did just want to say i am glad for you that you were in the building uh you know like because we talk about like a like a notorious sports moment we talk about you know you know the one that that we're going to be diving into 
I'm just glad that you were in the building oh, for this. Wow. You just got you to, do just got to witness I mean, everything about that. Did you? I was uh, there, Sean. I was there. Yep. <laughs> what was uh, what was it like seeing that bodacious booty of Brandon Staley just right up in the right up on that field? It was an experience that I will remember forever. It will be an experience <laughs> I will tell my kids, my grandkids. Um, a moment, one of those, you know, top three moments in your life, you know, your, your wedding day, you know, the birth yeah. of your kids and, and, and seeing that stretch, that booty stretch. So yeah, there's, yeah, there's the wedding cake and then there's the Staley cake. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> it's but like, where, where were you when Brandon Staley did yoga on the sideline? Yeah. Now, now I know Jeff was at a game. <laughs> yeah. 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 So speaking of, you know, Troy was in the building for, for that epic sports moment, Jeff, you we're in the building for about 45 minutes of that Clippers Pistons game. Would you like to tell me your experience last night and, and, and what you went through on Monday during the Clippers Pistons game? And would you so, like to tell us why it's your fault that the Pistons lost? Yeah, no, I listen, I, I got a confession. I take a hundred percent of the blame for what unfolded yesterday night. And, and honestly, before I even start, shout out to Booner, by the way, uh, he wasn't feeling good. Hope he feels better. He had free tickets. And as a good friend, he he said, hey, Jeff, you want to go to the game? I said, yeah, sure. You know, day after Christmas, we'll see what the turnout looks like. Uh, so me and my buddy went down to LCA. It was, it was a packed act. It was actually pretty packed, to my surprise. Um, it was a good turnout, a good environment. Um, and honestly, the Pistons did play a good two and a half and then quarters, solid quarters, where they had a majority of the time. They had the lead. And then the third quarter – you know, they, they go down double digits, they claw back, the crowd's in it, they're excited. Killian Hayes has an amazing first quarter. And then the fourth quarter started, they're hanging in it, and there's about five minutes left in the game. And as it's coming down, I look at my buddy and I go, you know what, let's get out of here with about three minutes left. Because Jeff, it, Jeff, it is full dumb, dumb, stupid no. head move goes, let's beat traffic. Now, mind you. <laughs> If it wasn't as big of a turnout as I expect, like it, there was a lot of people there, I probably would have stayed. But I had work the next day. My buddy had work. You know uh-huh. what? Let's, let's, let's beat traffic. The Pistons were up fourteen with three minutes left, I believe. So we walk out. People are walking out. I get to my car. We drive away, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm talking to my buddy about it. Hey, man, what a game! Like Pistons played well. Um, it was everything you wanted. Obviously, def- you know, defensively they didn't play well. But what's new? But offensively, a lot of guys shine. Young players. I looked at my buddy. I'm like, this is what it feels like to go to a Pistons game, man. So, I mean, you had you remember these... like specifically when in the game you left? Like, did you leave when Tyron Lue like put in his bench unit? So it it, it was right I, as I was getting up out of my seat. The horn sounded. Tyron Lue pretty much said, "Pack it up. We're done. Uh, let's go to Toronto the following day. Uh, we're packing up here. I'm walking out. People are walking out. And anyway, so I get to my car. I'm driving away." While I'm on the highway, I go, you know what, let's check. I just want to check the stats. So I pull up ESPN. I look at the score. And I'm sitting there staring at my phone. And I'm like, I'm shot. I'm like, wait, number one, before I even noticed the result, I go, they went to OT. And on top of that, they lost an OT by like 10. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm appalled. So I had to wait till I got home to really dissect it, watch back the game, see what the hell happened. And then the stack came out on ESPN. What was it? The teams that were trailing uh, down 14 uh, since 1997 were like two, yeah. now three, in like 12,800. 
So I, all of these things combined, I sat there in my room last night and I'm like, you know what? It probably was my fault because when we, when I was in the building, Pistons were playing pretty well. They were closing that game. And then everything went to complete, you know what? Uh, so Shit. again, I didn't, have to, <laughs> I didn't witness it. So maybe that was better for my mental health. I didn't witness it. But when I did the show this morning on Woodward Man, I'm, the morning Woodward show, I let out all my frustration. What a morning. Having to dissect all that and wake up and have to process that they threw a 14-point lead yeah. with three minutes left. Mm-hmm. Actually, two minutes and 57 seconds, which makes so, yeah, so the stat that, uh So the stat that Even Jeff's more. referring to is from ESPN Stats. Um, entering Monday, teams are 2 in 12,873 when trailing by 14-plus within three with three minutes remaining in the play-by-play era since 1996-97. So essentially since we were born. And the Clippers were 0 and 417 in that scenario. You, now you, you know what's messed up too, just before you go, Sean, is the fact that not only did he bench the starters, Paul George didn't even come back in the game. Look, I looked back and watched until 30 seconds left. Like this was the, and again, the Clippers they have a good bench, but there is no reason why. And then they score three in OT. I mean, that was, that was probably the lowest point uh, or it, it is no doubt the lowest point of the season so far. It was, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was disappointing. So I'm actually glad that you brought up the bench thing because we actually, if you guys remember, we actually had a pretty, you know, significant talk about the Pistons bench about a week or two ago and about, you know, like their elevated play and what that was doing for the team at the time. And, you know, like what that meant for, you know, what that meant for them. If you look like, if you look like as a whole, like, like throughout like the season, like, like one of the things like over the course of like the last month, like the, the Clippers have one of the better bench units in a certain sense, but at the same time, it's not one of those units where it's like good enough to where it's like, all right, I, I'm I'm fine with that. Like it was, it was guys like, you know, like, like, like Trey man, you know, like Luke, like obviously they have guys like Luke Kennard. They, you know, it, it wasn't exactly like they were, they had their, their greatest lineup out there. And, you know, it, I, Isaiah Stewart said it after the game and listen, quite frankly, I think it's an understatement. Like they, they took it for granted. They took their foot off the gas and the Clippers waved the flag. And so did the Pistons. Well, you know, the Clippers, you know, like Tyron Lue signified that the game was over by putting in, you know, his second unit. But the thing that we know in this league is that until the bell rings, until that horn sounds, there is no over like this, like the game's not done. So, you know, I listen, it's one of those things where uh, I, I think it's a hard lesson to learn you know, like just in general in this league that, you know, anything can happen if you just take a game for granted. But I think now more than ever, I, I, I think last night, you know, I, I called it, I, I did a video, you know, that came out, you know, Tuesday and I, I even went live talking about it after just because I, I just wanted to get my emotions out or just like my, like just process my thoughts. And I think this is the rock bottom moment of the rebuild. Like I would say this is the lowest point of the rebuild so far. Um, and I say, and I, and I think the reason why is because if you, if you just use this point kind of like as like a checkpoint for where we're at in the season, like what struggles we're facing and you know, like what things we're going through, 
Like I would say like one of the big things is that this team's bad defensively and it just seems like it like they're not getting better. Um to me, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me like a lot of their problems on the defensive end come down to communication and a lot of missed rotations, a lot of miscues, and when guys make individual mistakes and and you know guys like Beef Stew and Jalen Duran have to come in and try and aid and you know draw fouls and you know even guys like Killian you know if 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 he lets guys by he can he can over foul sometimes too like like that like to me like there's just a lot of you know miscues that lead up that like add up right like especially when you're a young team 24 seconds isn't a lot on a shot clock but it's enough to to it's enough time to let a bad defensive team have miscues and mishaps right. And, you know, I think the other thing as well is you want to see this team, you know, you know, learn how to close out games and learn how to overcome this, you know, whatever this focus issue is. And to their credit, they had their best third quarter of the season. But that doesn't mean anything when you cause cheap turnovers in the final couple minutes, when you stop making you know, stop making active decisions with the basketball. And it just seems like it, they went away from everything that was, that was working and got them there in the first place. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where I don't want to come into this and just, just make this be a Pistons bash session. Everything sucks. Whoa is Pistons because I still believe that there is a lot to be invested in that there's a lot to be optimistic about. But quite frankly, even in a rebuilding season, even in a year where you're one of the worst teams in the league, like even like even though like we've come to this, you know, come to this podcast and said like this season isn't about the wins and losses. But you know what we have said that this rebuild needs to show signs of life. Yeah. This rebuild needs to show progress. This rebuild needs to show that progression and that things are evolving, that things are getting better, right? And although I I still believe that this team is going to be okay and that, you know, next year they're going to be, I still think they're going to be ready to turn the corner. They're not going to be able to until they get over this. And in my opinion, like, you know, like each team has their, has their hills they have to climb. Each team has their has their adversity they have to overcome. But when it's what but when you're a team that really can't like really has no room for error and you just, you know, it it, it almost felt like and and you know James Edward said it really well in his article. It, it almost felt like it almost felt like they metaphorically like puffed out their chests and felt like they were the superior team, you know, when in reality they have no right to feel that way at this current time. I'm sorry. They don't. And that's an organization. It's an, it's an organization we all love, but that's just, that's just the reality. So Jeff, as, as the person that was in the building, you know, and like, obviously, you know, like I, you know, I know you, you said that, you know, you had your time to vent on the morning show. Now that you've had some time to process it, now that you've heard what I've had to say, do you agree? What are your thoughts? And is like, what, what stands out to you as far as like particular things that need to be addressed? 
it's I think the big picture for this team, especially not having your franchise player in Cade, is learning how to win. And that sounds cliche, but that that really is part of it. I know last night, and and that's why it's hard because when you blow a lead like that, the good things kind of do get buried at the same time. Like for me, there was a lot of good things to take away from last night, despite how it ended in the last three minutes. I mean, if you watch Isaiah Stewart throughout the game, I mean, he he had one of his better games of the season. Jalen Duran, uh, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay hit some big shots. I, I loved how Dwayne, it was a nine-man rotation, and you had Hamadou Diallo playing, and he honestly, he had some big shots. He had big plays in that game as well. There's tons of things to take away, at least for the future. Like, I, I agree completely with you. This doesn't change how we view the future, but what it does do is is frustrate fans because they were waiting for that moment. Last night was that moment for them. That that was a big win. They did need that some of that momentum they did need and they just weren't able to close it out. And Isaiah Stewart's quote after the game and and you could tell the locker room understands what's at stake just in general and what the outside noise is even though they don't let it get to them, they still know the narrative and how he said this isn't on coaching. This is on us. This is on the players. It's our job to go out there and execute, close these games. People and they aren't going to want to hear this, by the way, but he's 100% right. Yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it is. I, I mean, whether people want to admit it or not, like for Dwayne Casey, it's it's a, he's in a tough position because especially at the end of that game in OT and, and when I rewatched it back, there's that, do you, do you play veterans and try to win games? And then if you don't win the games, you're going to get criticized for benching your young players, or do you play young players and lose a game and get criticized for losing the game? And, and last night, for example, perfect example is, is Burks played in OT, didn't play very well, and the narrative comes out, why didn't Ivy play more in OT? It's like, wh- what do you want him to do? In no that one, situation. no one was was making a shot. No one was was defending. Right. Well. No it, one. It, it's it. It doesn't. So again. It, to your point, Sean, the, the future, it doesn't change how I view the future. It is frustrating. It is one of the lower points, if not the lowest point, to your point, of the season. But at the same time, this team, and I know it's cliche, but they have to learn how to win. And, and, and honestly, I will say this about Dwayne, because what frustrated me is when they were collapsing and they had that meltdown, there, there has to be a moment, and it is the players. They have to go out there and execute but there has to be a point where you got to stop the bleeding and and they didn't do that. So whether that's yep. Dwayne or the player's fault, whatever it is, they didn't stop the bleeding. And it, it, that was a tough loss. That loss can either bring a locker room closer or, or create frustration with how, you know, with how things are going currently. So I think personally with the person Dwayne is and how he's done so far, I think this is going to bring these guys closer together and they're going to come together and, and work on it. Cause sometimes you need moments like this. We talked about the lions getting smacked in the mouth last week. Sometimes you need a loss like that, where you looked as good as they did, but they didn't close it just so everybody can sit and be like, look at that. We had that game in the bag and we couldn't close it. So, again, in my opinion, I do think this is beneficial for them moving forward, but we got to find out. I also, for me, like what gave me, because like last night I went live, and, and one of the things I said was I wasn't going to comment on, you know, on, on the Dwayne Casey aspect of things. Because to be honest with you, I wanted to give myself some time to see where I really landed on that. And like, you know, I, it's it's not a secret that the third quarter thing has been a consistent issue over this season, but... I think, you know, if you actually look at it over the last couple seasons, it has been somewhat of an issue in Coach Casey's tenure. Um, you know, like w- whether that's like having a young roster, you know, whether that's, you know, like, you know, like 
like whether something needs to change the approach you know like that's like a whole other conversation really no one knows what's happening in that locker room except those guys right but you know at, at the same time I know I know a lot of people are quick to to look at coaching but at the root of it Dwayne Casey had this team up 14 with just over three minutes to go yep he had Tyron Lou who we all would agree is one of the best head coaches in the NBA right like 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 people can people could say whatever they want about Dwayne Casey Tyron Lou we know who he is right Tyron Lou waved the white flag and put in his bench at that point you know like sure like, like Dwayne Casey could have brought the, these guys back you know to to the bench maybe a little sooner maybe smack some sense into them but it's not like he wasn't trying to do that during the game it's not like there weren't times where he was doing that during the game and right. by the time they were trying to get reengaged and they were trying to create stuff it's pretty clear that they got young, that that their youth showed they got scared and ultimately they just let it slip out of their hands because they realized that it was that it was that it was you know falling away from them before they could even do anything you know but Troy I want to get your perspective because I, I want to know you know what like you know first of all how you found out because you were at the you were at the you were at the at the, at the game yeah. so I'm, I'd imagine you probably I, I knowing you, you were probably you probably weren't watching the game, but you were definitely regularly checking in. Right. Yeah, that was 100 percent right. And I remember um, I didn't. OK, so I remember looking at the score with, I think. Five minutes to go, so not quite three, but five and they were up. I can't remember how much they were up by maybe eight. Did you go back uh, and watch it, by the way? What's that? Did you go back and watch? I watched the, the NBA highlights, the, ele- the 11 minute highlight okay. uh, reel. Okay. So I watched pretty much every basket. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, they're going to win. And then I was like, oh, hey, let's see how much. And like, probably like an hour and a half after the game, I checked the score and I was like, wait, 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 they, they lost? They lost like, like, I wonder how they lost. Right. And it wasn't until maybe even another hour after that, that I saw the stat, the two and 16,000 stat. Yeah. 12,000. Um, yeah. 12,000. Yeah. yeah. What does it matter? What yeah. Does it yeah. Matter, when it right? yeah, when it gets up to, to 10, 10 K plus. Stay good. Yeah. 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 It's a metric crap ton is what right. it really is. Right. So yeah. once I thought that I was like, man, I didn't realize it went to overtime until then. And I was like, I got to watch the highlights in the morning. And I didn't actually watch the highlights till this morning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly, Sean, you kind of hit it in your in your previous video. But this team has faced a lot of adversity already. But the second you thought that they were done going through adversity, a game like this happens. And even more adversity you have to go through. And I understand it's a young team. These moments are going to happen. But Shauna, I'm, again, I'm stealing uh, your thoughts from the previous video, video. Everyone in this, in this, on this roster is responsible for that, right? I mean, we can't look at one player. We can't look at Dwayne Casey. Yeah, because people can't look were at Killian like Killian Hayes. We yeah, can't look at Dwayne like, I could blame Killian for this, and it's right. like, no, no, that's a like that is when, an entire team. When you are in the NBA and you are on a NBA roster, it, it is almost assumed. It is assumed that you are a good enough player to make any shot at the right time dish the like make basketball moves to win score right. when you need to win yeah they scored two points 
in that last three minutes, and they only scored another three, three and after OT. that. So that is, so that was a five to. 14, 28 run. Well, and guys, here's here's the other reality of it too. I know that, like you know, with three minutes to go, like Jeff, like like you said, it's like, oh well, you know, three minutes to go, they're up by fourteen, we could beat traffic, you know, because it was what's you know we call that garbage time, right? The reason why it's called garbage time is because you generally think the game's over, and because they put in their second unit players. Yep. Even though, like to the fan, we take garbage time for granted. The actuality is that for the players that are playing in garbage time, those are their most important minutes. They get because, paid too. They get well, paid too. Well, they get paid too. But also, Jeff, Troy, these are their opportunities to show what they got. Right, I yeah. mean, these guys don't get many NBA minutes for all intents and purposes. Guy, like even though like a lot of these Clippers bench guys, like you know, like like Terrence Mann, like he like he ain't no scrub. Like like he like he. It's not like he's you know like it's not like he's bad. But like you know. Amir Coffee, he's not getting he's not getting too many minutes on a night to night basis, you know. Like even even guys like Norman Powell and and even 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 a guy like Terrence Mann, like it's an opportunity to show, hey, this is what I can do, right? And so like I know a lot of people like to dismiss, you know, like like the like the second unit and when like when those people are playing, but like that's the lesson of the, if you dismiss it. That's what can happen because there are like more than ever, there are guys in this league that can put buckets together in fast. Right. And I mean, you have a Clippers unit where everyone can shoot the three, everyone can score in transition, everyone can defend. Like, and you have so many players that can get their own buckets. So, you know, the, the idea of, of, of just, you know, like, Hey, this game's over. Like we can, we can handle this when, you look at their second unit, like Luke Kennard, John Wall, Norman Powell, like they're like they have a, they have an entire second unit of guys who could be starting for another NBA team. And and Sean, on top of that too, there's plenty of guys on that Clippers team, unlike the Pistons, that have been in those situations where they're down. They get they they need a bucket or they're down, whatever the score may be. The Pistons haven't been in a situation where they've been up that much and had to close a game out in three minutes. So it's it's them getting a little lackadaisical, but it's also the Clippers. I mean, they they I don't want to call them all veterans because Luke Kennard's been in the league for a handful of years, but those guys have seen different situations. Like John Wall, for example, right. played in a lot of big games. So it, it was a team that knew what to do in those situations and a team that did not know what to do in those situations. And I hate that that's not really an excuse, but that's kind of the reality of right. what transpired. No, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But all right, let's, let's talk about the next pieces of it. So we've talked about how, and, and, and I still maintain the idea that I don't think Dwayne Casey's getting fired. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think last night, I don't think there's any game that can be a causation of Dwayne Casey getting fired this season. Uh, there's people that have asked me in the comments, what, like, what's the point of keeping him around? Well, first of all, part of the value of having a guy like Dwayne Casey is that he's such a stable head because he's been through every single situation. You know, like if, if you wanted to have an NBA bingo card of the crap Dwayne Casey's been through or like what people can go through, he's been through it all. Right. Right. And 
Last night, you listened to him in, in the press conference. Every player was super down on themselves, dejected, really upset. You could tell they wanted that win bad. Wayne Casey was just as calm as ever. Kept his demeanor, even keel. Gave them credit, but and 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 said, "I'm proud of how our guys played for part of it." But you know, exact same thing. At the end of the day, this is a make or miss league, and anything can happen if you don't. You know, if you lose your focus for even one second, and you know, like the thing is, is like he he even is still saying, like you know, we're learning and we're growing. But like you know, in in the midst of learning and in the midst of growing, this is one of those learning moments where you have to have you know. And I said this in the live stream. Uh, you know, after the game, this is where you have to have a come to Jesus moment. Like this is where, like, you know, in my opinion, like where last year, like this team had a team meeting after, you know, like before the Boston game to talk about what they need to change. I think that's a moment where, you know, if they haven't had a team meeting, I think it's got to be considered. And also I think, you know, like in in addition, I think you look at, you know, like the, the reality of of how this league works is even when you are rebuilding like you have to show signs of progress you have to show things moving forward and you know i i do wonder you know like if instead of you know Dwayne Casey like deciding to go into a front office role in the next off season or two if that could be decided for him and we could be having a conversation about a coach search in the next year or two what are your guys thoughts well, my, my thoughts have never changed on Dwayne. I mean, that, that's why I, it's hard for me to have conversations with people that, and this isn't a bad thing. I mean, fans are emotional. They're reactive. They, right. They're watching games just like we are. And I think we have a little bit of a different perspective because we cover the team. We talk about the team. We kind of know what's, you know, we have a, at least an idea of what's going to happen, you know, what the players are feeling, coaches. We watch all these pressers. And I know fans – when they watch how the season's played out, they've watched Dwayne Casey's tenure. They get frustrated. Oh, he has all these 20-win seasons. I think we look at the bigger picture, and I've brought up this point multiple times with Dwayne. He's not going to be your coach of the future, and that's not saying he's going to get fired, but the man is the second oldest coach in the NBA currently right now. And I think even Troy not firing him, there has to be – I mean, people assume that Troy does not have a plan moving forward, and that's the most frustrating thing for me because – and I, I sound like a broken record bringing this up, but with the Red Wings, people act like Steve Eiserman didn't have a plan for Jeff Blaschel. Of course he had a plan. He just didn't let anybody know what the plan was. And then when he finally got fired, and here comes Derek Lalone. Oh, it, it, I actually like Derek Lalone. And the season's going, and no one's talking about Jeff Blaschel and all the people talking about why he should have been fired. I think that's the same thing with, with Dwayne right now, is when Troy feels it's necessary, when he feels like it's that time for this team to compete to, to try and make a plan up the playoffs, whatever it may be. I, I don't think Dwayne's going to be here because simply I don't think he's coaching that long in the NBA and maybe next year. Uh, but even then I, I do think a change is, is on its way. And to your point, Sean, it could be a situation where he is forced out, or at least there's a negotiation happening with Troy saying, Hey, come join us in the front office. We'll get your replacement. Whether yeah, it's like, I, I don't I, like, I, I would still think that Casey would be part of the organization. Yeah. Like kind of my, that- my sentiment. Absolutely. And he deserves to be. I mean, for a guy that's been, you know, didn't ask for what he was given, the cards that were dealt with the rebuilds he's had to deal with, and now another rebuild. Uh, That's where I feel it's how I've always felt. There's going to be a time and a place. Troy's going to make a decision. I have faith in Troy to make that decision. And there's going to be a time, just like when Memphis went out and got Taylor Jenkins, they felt like, all right, let's take the next step. I don't think they're there yet. You clearly see how the team's playing. Even if you fire Dwayne now, I don't think, I mean, 
maybe they they respond to that and they play hard. But regardless, to your point, Sean, why do it now? I mean, keep Dwayne in that locker room with a young team. Keep these guys developing. I think everyone can say they were happy with what they saw last night out of all the young players. They just got to find a way to close games. And that's part of having a young team. So for me, with Dwayne, I'm fine with him right now. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and critique Dwayne over what. I mean, yeah. if this team had legitimate playoff expectations and they were during, doing this, then we can critique him. But right now, we didn't even expect, even with Kate, we had this conversation. We were trying to talk fans off the ledge of them making a pl- the, the play-in with Cade. And without Cade, it's kind of transpired exactly, not exactly how I expected, but pretty damn close to what we expected. So moving forward, I'm not concerned about Dwayne or what his future is. I, I know Troy's going to address it. And when he does, I, I know he'll bring in the right guy. So right. um, I'm not sure. overreacting. I'm and, not Troy, and Troy, I think too, like we, you know, like to that point, like of what Jeff's talking about, I think a lot of times in sports, you know, we, we just, you know, whatever we look at, you know, something that happens or goes wrong, or there's a mishap on the court, or there's decisions being made. We always look at the coaching because yeah. that's that's the most that's the most visible face of the organization, the most visible decision maker that we can see, right? right. And you know, I and and I understand why you know, like why people would you know why people would want to to make that look or or like have that you know have that opinion, and and like I understand why that's like the easiest opinion to have. But again, like, you know, as Jeff just said, like you can't have a, like your coach puts you in a 14 point lead. Your team has to be able yeah. to go out there and execute. And and even then, like if you're, if you're going to fire your coach in the middle of the season, you're going to do it because this team didn't meet the expectations that were set forth for them. Like, let's like, you don't have to look hard in the sports world to give an analogy. This isn't Nathaniel Hackett. This isn't this isn't the Denver Broncos bringing in a head coach to come and bring this team a Super Bowl, and and then they go and get Russell Wilson, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Like this isn't like we didn't bring in Donovan Mitchell. We didn't like we're not 27, 28 year old players on this team. Like half of our stars can't legally drink. Right. It, it, yeah. And to your point, too, before Troy goes, I would ask people, if you feel like Dwayne, you, you should be fired today. What do you feel like Dwayne is holding this team that much back to what they were supposed to be? And right. I would argue, no, yeah. I don't think if you fired Dwayne, they wouldn't all of a sudden play, you know, excellent defensively or play excellent defensively, yeah. uh, find a way to it, it doesn't work like that. I'm sorry, right. so, because yeah. if because if you fire him, what happens is. Someone else on the staff takes over as the interim head coach. So you do realize from a player development standpoint, from an overall scheme standpoint, not much is going to change for the rest of the season. Right. So literally, why not have one of the best basketball minds, one of the best player development coaches, a guy that that the team clearly respects, and the fact that they, that Isaiah Stewart came out and made the point to say, that isn't coaching. That's right. on us. Right. Players only do that when they actually stand by their coach. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Isaiah Stewart's statement for me says it all. Right. And you guys just touched on that. But Sean, you brought up a point too. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of Pistons fans are going to forget this. And this is another thing that you got talked about in your, your previous video is that Dwayne D- Casey is the same coach that brought that team, you know, with that lineup still without Cade 
to being up by 14 points with three minutes remaining against Paul George, against John Wall, against Luke Kennard, against Marcus Morris, right? Like he made uh, adjustments. Like, right, like right. this lineup like was it yeah. was an inherently different coached game right. than how he was approaching other games. Right. So I guess where I'm getting at, and we saw this team be, knock off the Warriors, right? I mean, I mean, there's other games too that we can point at, you know, closing in overtime against the Mavs. Uh, but Killian's kind of coming out hard. So there's, there's, there's games this season. There's games last season we can look at, even the season before that, that we can look at. Sure, there's a lot of losses in there, but there's also some, some wins and tremendous growth. And, and this was something that we've been talking about literally since the, the Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond years, even as a Dwayne Casey uh, coach, is that he can develop players. And, he, and we see the way that he's doing that with this young core. And again, there is no way that you can tell me that the Pistons are so beyond, um, uh, um, you know, exceeding their expectations because of a poor coaching by Dwayne Casey, especially with uh, uh, Cade Cunningham, who's injured. So I guess, you know, where I'm saying is I'm with you guys, probably not the long-term coach just strictly because of his age. But as far as this season, that's all about growth. That's all about development. That's always about, that's about even competing against teams that we saw last night, even though with the loss, they still played their hearts out in, in overtime. Right. I mean, there's yeah. no uh, there's no argument yeah. to be made in my opinion that yeah, there, Dwayne Co- Casey needs to be fired tomorrow. Yeah, there wasn't a lack of effort for sure. I mean, you look at I mean, and, and listen, like people are like, well, what's the reasons that you're that you're that you keep Dwayne Casey? Well, to answer your question, if you were to tell someone a month and a half ago that the Pistons were going to lose by 11 in a game that they led where Killian Hayes scored 18 points, they would say, "Hold up, Killian scored 18 points?" Right. Because there was a point a month and a half ago his offensive game and his NBA career looked in jeopardy. Now, Killian looks like a whole different dude. Jay Nivey has been towards the top of the rookie leaderboards ever since stepping into Detroit. Part of because, partially because of Dwayne Casey. You look at Isaiah Stewart, who had a phenomenal game last night, 21 points, 8 of 10 from the field, 3 of 4 from beyond the arc. Offensively, a completely different player today. Than he was when the seat than he was when he came into the league. Dwayne Casey and his staff don't get any credit for that. Like, like that's where we have to stop being so selective and picking and choosing the things that we that we give credit for and the things that we criticize for. And that's the thing that, like, to me, that I don't understand is the fact that, like, even though like we are talking about all these negative things and that we can acknowledge that there are things to be to to criticize. Damn it, there's things to praise too. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. we can we can keep saying like yeah well they're losing a lot of games and we need a winner in Detroit and we can take all of our city's frustrations out on these guys all you want these 19 20 21 year old kids are not at fault for the years of dysfunction that were caused by Joe Dumars and Stan Van Gundy they don't deserve to get the blunt of the criticism for decisions that were made before Jalen Duren was even born Right, right. That's just the truth. Like, yeah. like we can we can say whatever we want about like you know like oh well the rotations oh well the minutes oh well the adjustments. But Killian Hayes is a is a completely different player today than when he started in the league. Even yeah. Hamadou Diallo has developed under him. Even Kevin Knox has remnants of an NBA life because of him. Christian Wood might go get a significant contract when before playing with Dwayne Casey he was going to be in China. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
you can keep picking and choosing whatever you want, but you can't take away the stuff that's flat out on his resume. Mm -hmm. That's what gets me fired up is we're so damn selective and there's no integrity behind it. Like, God. Yeah, and and it goes back to the same point, and this is said many times in in the sports world. It's much easier to replace a coach than a player. So guys are going to look at Dwayne, and they have no other reason. They're looking at the roster. They like the young talent, and they feel like Dwayne's at fault for everything, which is not fair. And to your point, uh, Sean, bringing up all the good things you've seen, nobody wants to do that. They want to talk about the bad things. Well, what about throwing the, the the leads or playing as bad as they are defensively? But they won't give him credit for the good things people see, which I've seen a lot of this season, which is player development, trusting Killian to start him. When me and you, we made videos talking about Killian Hayes, what his future is, not even just for the Pistons, in the NBA. And he's revived in basketball. his career. In basketball, period. And he's revived his career, but nobody wants to talk about that. It's It's well... Yeah, they might have had a 14-point lead with three minutes left, but they threw it. So, Dwayne stinks. Like, it's it's not fair to Dwayne. It really isn't. I, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, do, do, yeah. you tr- do people trust Troy to make the right decisions? Yes or no? And I think a majority of people would say yes. So, the yeah. fact that he has not fired him, all of a sudden now you're not going to trust him? It's yeah. uh, it's it's not the way I'm, I'm going with this, but it's people's opinions. If you would have told me that Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart starting together would be averaging 21 points in 18 rebounds a game i would say man that's a great third year by them mm-hmm. that's their first week mm-hmm. that's their first slate of games that they've started together and are, are people going to give him credit for that or are they going to say well he waited so long to to put those guys together but they're not going to give him credit for how well they played together on the court it's i don't know i don't get it yeah, which by the way, like we can we can say what we want about like you know Jalen Duran and like you know like obviously we we had conversations about whether or not he should have been starting at the beginning of the season, but I think you can tell by how he's been playing ever since he started in the starting lineup that they that they brought him along the right way because when he did start, he looked ready for it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yep. and that's and that's what you want to see. Like that's that's yep. what you that is exactly what you want out of your team. So again, we can go. You know, like we can go around like and, and this is probably the most negative we've been about the Pistons on this podcast. And, you know, like it's it's I, I don't and it's not that like, you know, I I don't mind being negative. Right. Like I don't mind like, you know, bringing up criticism when it's when it's valid. Right. Like but it's, yep. Yeah. But that's exactly it is when it's warranted. And and and, and again, like I, I understand people's frustrations. I know people you know, see this type of stuff and they go, man, the ineptitude, like, like what, like what in the heck is going on? Like, when are these days going to be behind us? But the, the simple truth is for me, when I think of those days, I think of when Anthony Davis scored 63 points in a Pelicans uniform in the little Caesars arena against Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and Marcus Morris and a group of guys that had no direction. I think of, you know, I think of watching Blake Griffin, on his last legs, you know, like it, like in the 20, like in the 2019, 2020 season, clearly a shell of himself after trying to carry this team to the playoffs because he had to play 30 plus minutes a night just to do it like that. Like to me, when I think of Pistons ineptitude, and again, this is a franchise I have a lot of admiration for a lot of respect for, you know, like what want to like tell the story of the Pistons in the best light possible. 
But when you think of like the ineptitude of the Pistons, that's what should come to mind. This is the is the buildings of a rebuild. The fact that we have players like this in Detroit, we've been clamoring for talent like this in our city for 20 years. Mm-hmm. We have it. It will it will produce soon. It will. It doesn't it might not feel like it, but damn it, it will. I promise you. But, especially with the assets they have coming up, they still have a bright right. future. I think I, I, I would be shocked. And I've seen this conversation circle and we're not even going to, we don't even have to talk about this. Cause it's, I've seen people go off the rails, fans talking about Cade talking about, is he a bus? Cause he's missing game. I mean, idiotic conversations. And the fact that all they're struggling this season and it's making before the season, it was excitement, love the future of this young core. And now, no Cade, they're struggling. They're learning how to close games. And now everything goes out the window. What are we, 30-something games in? It's like, guys, what what's happening? I mean, we we all talked about how long of a process they would be. And it would be a couple of years before you see results and you see free agency play out. You know, you see what Troy does moving forward. But it seems like in 30 games, everyone's willing to check out on a rebuild. It's like, I don't – I'm confused Right. how we got well- to this point. Well, and, and again, I totally understand if fans don't want to tune in to regular losses each and every night. And if it that's, is, and, absolutely, if, that's and if it isn't entertaining for them, like, like, listen, like, I can't blame, like, I can't blame you for that. Right. Like we are, we are the hardest of hardcore where we're going to tune in pretty much every single night, no matter what, because mm-hmm. we're just, we're sickos. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, we're just, we're <laughs> disgusting humans, but like, in all seriousness, like, like the main piece of it is, is like, you know, like, like I, I, like if you are going to judge this team, don't judge it on the unrealistic parameters and expectations that you put on the team. When okay. in reality, like we even talked about before this season, like, in, like, and in, in we even talked about in our predictions, like it's very important that you listen to, to what these teams say when they, when they give you like a message, because what did they say during uh, during media day this year the goal of this season we're gonna learn to compete and everyone heard we're gonna compete no 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 learn to compete and i think last night they just had their harshest lesson yet mm-hmm. but with yeah. that guys speaking of harsh lessons difficult realities the nba had christmas day games the other day and man i first of all i this was probably the most basketball i've watched on a christmas day in a while and i just gotta say it is the closest thing we get to playoff basketball you know before we get there and dude oh it was so good man i think this philadelphia 76ers sean I think they had a little coming out party. I know it's the Knicks. I know, I know, you know, we didn't really have uh, extreme high expectations on them this year. They did, you know, have what a seven or eight game winning streak. But the way Harden played, the Knicks uh, he are hit one some of the shots. four teams in the league that have a top 10 offense and defense. Like, that's a right. good win. Right. And and a James Harden had little glimpse of, of his Houston days. And if he can be half that on this roster with a Tobias Harris and a jo- Joel Embiid, you know, team, especially when they get Maxi back. Um, watch out. Watch out, East. Right. Also, can I just say, 
wasn't it pretty apparent on Christmas Day that uh, this Jalen Brunson guy can play can play oh, basketball yeah. pretty well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So to everyone that told me that told me that he couldn't. <laughs> anyway, Jeff, <laughs> uh, what was your personal highlight of Christmas Day? It's got to be the Boston Celtics. I, I, oh. and and I picked Milwaukee last year, even without Chris Middleton, and when we'll see come postseason time with Chris Middleton because Giannis struggled. But the thing that Boston does so well, and they they did well last year. Nothing's changed, and I got to give credit to Coach Missoula here. Is what they do defensively, and if you combine that with Jason Tatum having an MVP season, and as well as he put, dropped a forty bomb on the Bucks on, on Christmas. This team is terrifying. I mean, you get Malcolm Brogdon, it, it, things are coming together. The Celtics, even without Ime Adoka, are still just as – and we'll see how, how much Ime Adoka's value comes postseason time because Missoula, it's going to be an adjustment for him. The team looks terrifying. I mean, what they did to the Bucs, I think they match up well with Giannis with what they can do defensively. And they showed why right now they're, to me at least, playing like the best team in the East. I, I yeah. still think Milwaukee will be dangerous come postseason time because you got Giannis onto the Kumpo. But right now, the Celtics are playing the best basketball to me in the East right now. They're they're uh, they're scary. Jeff, I'd go one step further. They look like the best team in the NBA to me right now. Yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, I mean, when yeah. when Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are firing firing like this, Troy, I would argue that they're unbeatable because last night or on Christmas Day, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum combined for 70. 41 points from J from Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown scored 13 of his 29 in the fourth. And that's the other thing about this pairing, guys. Like, we were talking, like, I, I remember we actually, like, like, an early episode of this pod, like, last season was talking about should Boston blow up the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum pair? Because that was the comp, that was the discourse happening back then, right? But the but the perfect thing about this pairing is that is that there's no ego. Mm -hmm. Like Jay, like like Jason Tatum is more than okay with Jalen Brown being the closer, taking mm -hmm. the ball in the fourth quarter, being the guy to take those tough shots. Jalen Brown has no okay problem with, with Tatum being the face of the franchise, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Brown has no problem with Jason Tatum out there going out and getting his. Yeah, and the thing that impresses me the most also about the Celtics, because there's plenty of things, is how well Jason and Jalen have adjusted to now last year losing in the finals. You saw how bad they needed a playmaker, and, and you went out and got Brogdon. Losing their head coach. like you and, and losing their head Adoka. coach, all the adversity they faced. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're, they're getting better being playmakers because again with when you're that talented when you're Tatum or you're Brown you're going to have to learn to get your teammates involved i mean they're drawing so much attention defensively and with all the talent the Celtics have when they're clicking on all cylinders man like especially with what they have coming off the bench Grant Williams now they have Brogdon coming off the bench they they Robert Williams now i mean they they're terrified. I, yeah. I, I got to say, I mean, to me right now, they're the favorite to come out of the East, but um, yeah. Milwaukee's right behind them. But even it, it's just absurd to me. I would have never expected this. I thought they'd, they'd face some adversity and in, in, in hit a wall a little bit without Ime Adoka. They seem to be, they're clicking on all cylinders right now. And that's why I, I still, I still feel like Jason Tatum's MVP. I really do believe that. Yeah. But the crazy thing guys is, is if you really look at it and, and like, you know, briefly bringing up the Pistons again for 10 seconds. This is why I feel comfortable, you know, with whenever the coaching search will begin. Because if you look at this Boston Celtics coaching staff last year, guys, there were, you know, there were, you know, two assistants on that staff that are now phenomenal NBA head coaches in yeah. their own right. 
Joe Missoula for the Boston Celtics and William and, and Will Hardy for the Utah Jazz. Both of them were on that staff with Ime Odoka, who in his own right, in the next year or two, will get his own M- will will get an NBA coaching job again. Right? Like he almost got one a month ago. <laughs> you know, like 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 he's he's gonna like mm-hmm. he he's gonna he's gonna get another one. Like, like that's just the reality. But you know, like again, just looking at you know, like like what they've done and like how good they've they've been able to be. And like you said, like, you know, like just how how consistent they've been. But like the fact that, you know, not only did they have, you know, like an interim coach come in, but the youngest coach in the NBA, 36 yeah, right. years old. Right. And they barely miss a beat. That's an MVP caliber season. One hundred percent. Certainly is. So what yeah. you're saying is it's up to the players to go out there and execute is what you're saying. More than yeah, it's almost like the coach can 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 give you the parameters and, and, and help you with the case of success, but it's ultimately on the players. Got you. Yeah, who would have thought? But anyway, uh, another team, speaking of it's on the players and, and, a, and a group of players that feel pretty comfortable right now, the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought was really interesting was John ja Morant said last week, the team he's most worried about in the NBA is the Boston Celtics. And Malik Andrews immediately came back and said, you're not worried about the West? He said, nope, we're good. And then on Christmas Day, <laughs> the Golden State Warriors, without Steph Curry, with only three road wins to their name this season, a team that is in the play-in standings, and would currently be 10th, and it's the same record as the Minnesota Timberwolves, came out and kicked their asses on national television on Christmas Day in the first Christmas game in Memphis Grizzlies franchise history. Guys, I personally love this Memphis Grizzlies roster. But I am getting some real shit or some real shades that this group is going to have to get a real wake up call before they reach the top of the mountain. Sure, sure, and that might have been a, a small a small wake up call, yeah. But I, I think there's something bigger coming uh, with this Grizzlies team. But they're a team that we've been talking very highly about, you know, this year, and we love their young core. We we know that they had to face a lot of adversity to get even, you know, where they are today, especially with you know, having the position to draft John ja, number two overall in 2019 and how much they've uh, been able to put some little pieces around them. That, that, and those guys have developed. We think of a guy like Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, especially, and Jaron Jackson Jr. But, yeah, I mean, although you're missing Steph, you still have a Warriors team that can light you up um, uh, with, with Clay Thompson and then some other guys as well. Poole, Draymond great- Green played a pretty yeah. damn good game, too, at a double-double yeah. with only three points. Like, that's sure. damn impressive. Sure, sure. Poole had a great game as well. Um, so I, you know, they're a team that I, I, I would have a hard time saying they're going to make it out of the West, but still, I still have them getting out of the first round. Um, maybe, I mean, but Troy, yeah, here's where it gets interesting. If they were to be in the first round and if they were to indeed, you know, be, you know, like the, like the third seed right now, yeah, you know, like, like if, like if they were to end up like towards the top of the standings. There's a realistic chance that this team might have to face Luka Doncic 
in the mm-hmm. first round, there's a realistic chance that this team might have to face Steph Curry in the first round. There's a realistic chance this team might have to face Damian Lillard in the first round. So even though like like this like like I firmly believe that the Memphis Grizzlies are good enough to win a championship and are inexperienced enough to where I could see them only winning one game this playoffs and being out in the first round. Well, yeah. I'm a little more optimistic than that with this team, but I can I can at least see where you're coming from. My my problem with the Grizzlies is is a similar issue. I think the Grizzlies are in a better position, but the same issue I have with with Luca and the Mavericks. As much as I I love Jaw, love watching Jaw play in Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks. They have good pieces around Jaw. What we talked about last week with needing to get a Robin to Jaw's Batman. As much as I love Desmond Bain, these guys are, are good role players. They're they're really good. But when moments are huge, you need somebody alongside Jaw that can get you a consistent twenty plus. And they don't have that currently, and it's a, it's similar with the Mavericks. They need – and Christian Wood's been playing really well, so that's kind of been the guy lately. But it, the Memphis Grizzlies, that, that's why the common jaw had about the Golden State Warriors is, listen, I love confidence. That That's the one thing. Obviously, these athletes wouldn't get to where they were if they didn't have confidence. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they're going to need a little more. If they're going to, if you're talking about a Grizzlies team making a finals run, unless Ja has a miraculous postseason and everybody around him plays exceptional, I just don't think they have anybody they can rely on besides Ja consistently. And that's that's kind of my issue with the Grizzlies. And you I want to know why? Address that moving forward. Why was that? Because Jaron Jackson needs to step the hell up. Yeah, and I just, and I'm going to be honest with you, I just don't think he's he's that dude. I, I love him. I think he's a great, again, great third player, fourth player on a championship team, but. I think they're expecting him to be him and Bain to be those guys, and I, I just I don't know if they are right now, at least. Yeah, they Jaw's have, exceptional. Jaw's a superstar. Yeah, they have a lot of guys surrounding Jaw that play super hard, that yeah. are on good contracts. They're in a situation where they, you know, where they're pretty in a pretty luxurious spot where they can compete right now and not really have to worry about you know like super expensive salaries. I I, I do believe that this team does need to go out and get another co-star alongside Ja, to your point, because I think they are going to find themselves in a situation where, you know, Ja's an incredible athlete and his game's, his game's amazing. He's truly one of the most unstoppable players in the league. But playoff basketball is different. And last year, he had an injury, a freak injury that happens, right? Like he's, He has a high-flying game. You know, like in order for this team to be able to get through the playoffs, they need to guarantee that's that, you know, Jaw's gonna be on the court, right? And so I I and, and I, I'm not worried like about like his overall like you know, like injury. Like I'm not saying he's like a super injury prone player, it's just the way he plays the game is susceptible to injury. Yeah, so yeah, and on top of that, with the workload, that right, that's the same thing we say about Luca. It's like Luca's been durable, but when you put that much on a player all season, come postseason time you're going to get tired no matter who you are. Like, so that, that's what I worry about is somebody to take some of the edge off for Ja. So postseason, he's as fresh as can be. And he has somebody he can legitimately rely on to go to war with that if he struggles, somebody can step up. And not just step up and get you 15. I'm talking score and have a big game for you. I just don't think they have that consistently. As much as Bane right. can get you 31 night, can, can, can you rely on Bane 
if if Josh struggling in a series, I just I don't think so. Right, one hundred percent. And you know, like that that's going to be the thing that's really interesting to to me is you know how how do these teams you know address their you know address the gaps and the holes that they have? Like what like do like is there going to be a team that's going to make a big change at the trade deadline? Because there's been a lot of rumors about players potentially wanting new homes. James Harden potentially going back to Houston was a woge bomb that I got on Christmas day that I was not expecting after a win. I mean, like, yeah, like after, like, 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 like this comes out in the midst of like a seven, eight game win streak. Like, like Sounds when you guys right. are playing well, yeah. Also like the whole Trey young situation and everything that's been going yeah. on in Atlanta. By the way, I saw a post from NBA Central today. And according to them, um, so um, this is via Bet Online. Oh, I the hate best, this. the best odds to land Trey Young if the Hawks were to trade him. Number one, the Dallas Mavericks. Number two, the Miami Heat, the Celtics, the Nuggets, or the Lakers, the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Clippers, <coughs> and it goes so on and so forth. Listen, man, that bullshit made me sneeze. Yeah, one hundred percent. But if the Dallas Mavericks somehow ended up with both Trey Young and Luka Doncic, the Hawks should be relegated, right? I, I'm curious about that fit. Like, I, because again, oh, like okay, but like from like the hindsight of that draft, like they should both be relegated, right? Like, like the Hawks should be relegated yeah, no, the, if they, the if they gave be. up both Luka and Trey. Like, they, yeah, should, no, it, they, they should be relegated, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hawks, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, who would they give up? Who would the Mavs give up? I mean, they, they would yeah, have like to what make their assets. Franchise. Yeah, right. what assets in Dallas? Like, yeah, even though it just doesn't Kemba make Walker. Sense, but a couple right, first-round yeah, picks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, if you do that, you're like you're admitting that you're you're center piecing your franchise around De- Dejounte Murray. Um, but again, there's nothing Dallas has. There's no package that could yeah. compensate Trey Young's ability, in my opinion. By the way, it's looking more and more like getting Dejounte Murray for Atlanta was an insurance policy than it was going to get Trey Young a co-star. Sure, right. You know what I mean? It's unfortunate. Yep, but. Speaking of our insurance policy, Jeff, my old reliable, my guy, do you have anything for us today yes. as far as the segment of the week? I do. So, guys, with the segment rolling around, I I, I, I want to get away from the coaches being fired. This week, I'm going to change it up. We're going to go back to trading. Would you trade for this player? In, in this instance, I'm going to bring up maybe a player for the Pistons. Would you think about if you're Troy Weaver I, trading him I away? Think I, I think I know who, is, who this is. So uh, you might be correct, Sean, because you're good at reading me a lot of the time. So here we go. Number one, I'm going to start with a player on the Pistons. If you're Troy Weaver, you pick up the phone or you hang up the phone. All right. So player number one, if you're Troy Weaver with the trade, trade deadline approaching and somebody calls you, and, and inquires about a uh, Sadiq Bay. What do you do? You keep him and see how it plays out. Let him develop, or do you try and, and and maximize on other teams looking at the potential of what Sadiq could be? You might have to throw in assets. What would you do if you're Troy Weaver? Try to flip him, or would you keep him? Troy, I, I'm at least picking up the phone. Um, but you're going to have to give me a really good package to deal Sadiq Bay, in my opinion. I'm talking an already established player, 
I'm hoping you throw in a first round pick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking the call, but I can't guarantee you I'm making a deal. So I, I'm optimistic about making a deal, but I cannot guarantee it. If I'm if I'm Troy, I personally keep Sadiq through the end of the season. I don't think there's you know I I don't think the price on Sadiq changes in the off season from the trade deadline. I I I think there's only incentive to see if he can improve upon what we've seen this season. And if he can begin to turn it around, and if not, then maybe you can have conversations about flipping Sadiq in the off season, say on draft day to get another first round pick, say, you know, in a trade to go and get an established star. Like Troy said, like, I think in my opinion, there's just not an incentive to do it now. Like, like I understand, like, if you want to like just ensure that you get something then like, then like, yeah, like I can see that. But at the same time, in my personal opinion, it's a very similar situation to Jeremy Grant where you, where you have, where you have little to no purpose of dealing them before the deadline. There's really no reason to majorly change this roster up. Give it the rest of the season, see where Sadiq ends up. And then from there, the value is going to be pretty much the same anyway. So if you were, if you do want to trade them, just wait till the summer. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially like, how the season's played. I agree with both of you guys. I think the offer would have to be really enticing for me to trade them at the deadline. Uh, but let them let them finish the season. Maybe a stock rises. We've seen Troy, at least in the past, be more comfortable when he keeps players towards the, the draft or, or just the offseason. He seems to work out that way. So for Sadiq, keep him for right now. We'll see what offers arise in the future. But the next player I'm going to bring up, not a Piston, but a player that we talked about uh, last week, I believe, and that's from an organization that we tend to crap on a lot. But maybe we could rescue this specific player out of that organization who has ties to the state of Michigan. And, Sean, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Kyle Kuzma. You son of a bitch! <laughs> Kyle Kuzma. And I don't know what the deal would look like, but if you're Troy Weaver and, so, and the Wizards call you and they say, listen, we got Kyle Kuzma on the table, we, we could talk a trade, what would you do if you're Troy Weaver? Yeah, I'm picking up the phone call and I'm trying to make a deal. And that's a guy, you know, I mentioned I mentioned um, the uh, draft picks and I'm not expecting a draft pick if I'm looking at a guy like Sadiq Bey potentially, you know, moving away. I mean, I would do that and, and some other guys in a heartbeat. Um, I think Kuzma's a guy that in L.A. was a very good player. I think the Lakers in some way are still kicking themselves for moving him away um, to, to the Wizards, especially when they got in return with you know, just what Russ has been the past couple of years in LA. But I, I do think he's a guy that helps this team tremendously. I, I think another great thing about this would be developed under who else then? Dwayne Casey. Imagine what Dwayne Casey could do with him in his offense, right? So there's, to me, there's a lot of potential there. Then you look at next season with Kate Cunningham back now and a, and a first round pick and a free agent. I mean, a lot changes in this organization if we could go get a guy like that. And he's the kind of guy that I think we need t- to turn the table a little more uh, in the direction that we're trying to go to. So, yes, I'm picking up that phone call in a heartbeat, Jeff. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I'm all about it. I, I am absolutely all about getting Kyle Kuzma on this team because I, I know a lot of people looked at, you know, looked at his, you know, at, at his third year with the Lakers or when he was in a, in a uh, condensed role on that team, what he was being asked to do, but Kyle Kuzma is a flat out winner. 
I mean, yeah. when you look at when you look at what he did for that championship team and everything that he meant to that championship team, he did all the dirty work. And he was more than willing to do all the dirty work. But in addition, he's shown in Washington that he can be a reliable second or third option if you need him to be. And so for him to be a guy that understands what it takes to be to be a winning basketball player, a guy that could put up 20 plus points a game, a guy who can shoot, you know, 35 plus percent from beyond the arc, a guy who can rebound the basketball pretty well, like just a guy who makes good basketball plays, who who can play well on both ends, who can switch on multiple positions, like He's a guy who, like, Detroit's point where, like, if, like, you know, where, like, he's currently, he's 27. Like, he's still insanely young, but at the same time, he's heading into his prime. And I mm -hmm. think he, and I think he would be, I think he would be, you know, starting to, you know, to go on an upward trajectory at the same time that the Pistons are. I think it's a perfect fit. And the fact mm -hmm. that he's from Flint, like, just another, like, just makes it that much sweeter. So yeah. to me, it's just a home run. Like, in my opinion, like, I would be shocked if there's not at least a report that Troy Weaver at least doesn't pick up the phone and inquire about it. Yeah, and especially an organization that you can fleece. I think it's a it's a deal that I would love to see Troy try and make. And Kyle, obviously, as a player, you love everything he provides. The shooting um, defensively, which he's improved on over the last couple of years. Like you said, Sean, has championship experience, has played with LeBron and AD, knows what it, what it takes to win. And I think you, you drop him on this team. They need a guy like Kyle Kuzma right now. Uh, so, again, I'm all for it. We'll see what a deal would look like, but I think Troy could get it done. But there you you're go. We've got two players today. And you're going to be hard-pressed finding finding players in that role. They're going to be better than Kyle Kuzma. Right. Right. Like, like in my opinion, like, if, if you're talking about, like, my wish list of who I want the Pistons to go after – like this off season or over the next couple of seasons. Like I, I would certainly say like a guy like Kyle Kuzma, certainly on there, a guy like Grant Williams from Boston, certainly on there, like guys who can shoot the three play really hard on defense and know what it takes to win basketball. Yep. Games. And that's exactly what Kyle Kuzma is. So yeah. At, like when, when I saw the reports that, that Kyle Kuzma could potentially be gettable, I know a lot of people, you know, saw Kuzma and, and again, they, you know, they see him as a LeBron teammate. People generally, you know, devalue a player because of that but again if you've watched kyle kuzma play you can tell that he can play yeah no doubt another person yeah. who gets the city so mm -hmm. yeah and yeah he fits he fits the vibe man he's tough he might wear weird sweaters to games sometimes but like might dye his hair different colors but yeah, I mean, we had Dennis in Detroit. Yeah, We're yeah, used you, to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other players, Jeff, or was that about it? Oh, on those, those are the two for this week. I like it. I like it. That you read my you read my mind. I was like, when you were like players we could trade, I was like, he's gonna say Kyle Kuzma. He's gonna say <laughs> Kyle Kuzma. At first, he doesn't. I've been like, sitting okay. on him. I've been sitting on. I've been waiting for a good time to bring it up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I absolutely love it. But Troy, with that, it is time to end the episode the only way we know how and that is to do from Mount Rushmore I figured adding an effect to it this time why not but anyway Troy go ahead absolutely Sean and uh today we have a fun one and I think the one we're doing today obviously has a part I want a two. boring one Troy <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obviously we're gonna have a part two to it uh in reverse but today we're gonna be doing the Mount Rushmore 
of most overrated NBA players of all time. Um, I'll start. Now, this one is a little tough because he's still a great NBA player. Um, he's still a guy Say that averaged 20-plus points in this league three years in a row, but that's kind of it. Didn't really Say it! Much else. Yao Ming? Mm-hmm. Yao Ming's the name. Um, listen, again, great player, but the hype around him to this day, and I know now, and I know really he's done more for basketball, especially in China. I know what he means to the game. I know what how much he's helped the revenue of the NBA, just being that global sensation, especially from a land like China and taking number one overall. And, and again, being a good NBA player. But for me, I, I, when I look at our lifetime of, of who the press has just created this magnificent, you know, once in a generational player that we had in this league for 10 plus years, Yao Ming, six time all-star. I, I just don't see where all the hype is with him as a player. Yao Ming has to be on my list. Agree, disagree? But no, I, 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 I can see Yao Ming. Listen, yeah. respect to him, but if we're talking overrated, I mean, Yao Ming nationally, you know, globally is loved, but maybe that just because of where he yeah. came from and how big he was. I mean, yeah, I, mean, it, I think for like, I think he gets celebrated for what he means to the, to the country of China and like right. to like the game of basketball over there. And like right. he was when healthy, he was an all time dominant type big, but like when push comes to shove, there was never a situation where we thought Yao Ming was playing in June. Right. And he wasn't available. Right. Like that's exactly it. And it's funny that you bring up, Yao Ming, because when I start my Mount Rushmore, most overrated NBA players of all time, I'm going to go with his teammate, Tracy McGrady. Now, I love T-Mac. The guy's a bona fide bucket. When he was in his, when he was at the apex of his powers, he was one of the most powerful, you know, two guards that we've seen in this league. He, you know, at, at the peak of his powers, this guy averaged 32 plus points a game. Mm-hmm. You know, and this was this was around 0203. When it was hard to average 30-plus points a game. But, like, what's the iconic T-Mac moment? Outside of, like, the game where he scored, like, 13 seven, points. Yeah. yeah, like, or, like, you know, like, the, or like the, the, the playoff game where he scored, like, like 10 points in like, in, like, three seconds or something crazy like that. Which, by the way... Jeff Van Gundy was like, we got lucky. We sucked tonight. Like that wasn't even like a moment where like, you know, they were like celebrating in the moment outside of that. Like what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the highlight? Like where's the finals run? Yeah. Like where's the playoff run? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like if you look, if you look at where he's been and you look at what he did all throughout his career and even, and, and, and you talk about like, like a fall from grace too. like once he hit 30, I know part of that was injury, but like, you know, when you talk about like, this was a guy that was being revered and talked about, like, you know, as like a guy who could come in and be like a, like a Kobe era parent or like, or like in that type of class of talent in echelon, but like not even close in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. For me, and I'm going to go somewhere, you know, someone that currently plays in the NBA today, uh, somebody that, 
it maybe that you call this bias because I do have a little a little bias towards this specific player and I'm not the biggest fan of his and I do think he's overrated for what people at least in the market he plays in what they think he is and what I think he is and that's Julius Randle because let's be honest here Julius Randle good player but to be a number one on you know the New York Knicks for the last what four years and he's played in one playoff series and he was signed there to be the uh solution to new york you're bringing a a guy who has a name he's been on three different teams he was with la went to the pelicans had a breakout season went to new york and the numbers he puts up people bring up inflated numbers or numbers that you know you you, you average 23 points a game but what does it actually do i mean julius Randle to me he's not a great defender he could score points but what has that gotten him with the new york knicks and i get there's a lot more issues with the new york knicks than just julius Randle, but when I look at overrated and the term and what that means, I do think Julius Randle, for what he's widely regarded as and what he means to the Knicks, I do think it's overrated. As much as I like Julius Randle, he's probably your second, maybe third best player. I'll, I'll go second. I'll be friendly. And I'm in a championship some ways, he's team. kind of a stat pounder. I, I, I think to me, like I, I like I think the reason why I I don't know if I'd call him overrated because I I don't know if anyone like views him in like this like higher upper echelon of the league, you know, like I think, I think like, I think Julius Randall on the grand scheme of things is a guy who's like a fringe all-star every year. You know, like when I think of like, when I think of like guys, like, like if we're talking about like most overrated players of all time, I would go Jeff and someone who, who I think was in a very similar situation, Julius Randall. And it's a guy that's Amari Stoudemire. Who's a guy that at one point, was revered as one of the best players in the league as a guy who was an athletic freak of nature and who was viewed as this huge threat and was viewed as a top five, top 10 guy in the world. At one point, he didn't do jack shit. He went to New York. He had one great season or one great half of a season. Didn't mean anything like, like, you know, like, like to me, like when I think of like most over like overrated, like NBA players, like, like to me, like Julius Randall, is in like a bundle of guys in the league today that are all doing the same thing, you know? And I think like, I think that like we we've gotten smart to that. Whereas I think like Amari Stoudemire was one of the, like, was one of the biggest fraud superstars we've ever had in this league. Yes. But with Julius, Julius is in an alpha role. Like he's like Stoudemire right. at times you saw him take a back. Like Julius is that dude. That is what he's as of right now. He's in a role where he's the number one option on a team that makes the playoffs. and gets bounced immediately. I just don't think him. He's averaged 20 points. I mean, last that was Amari when he was on the Knicks too. We'll see how Julius's career plays out, but I just think his numbers are inflated on a team that never has success. So to me, I, I think he's a little overrated, maybe not the most overrated of all time, but right. he's overrated to me. Right. No, that's definitely like, again, like I'm not, I'm not clamoring and saying he's a star. Like I'm just saying, right. like, right. I just, I just, I just don't think people view him as anything special. That's what I'm saying. I'm maybe being more insulting, but Troy, what is your, what is your final person to have on this? Melody? Yeah, I'm struggling with that. I want to go Stonemeyer, uh in a lot of ways, but you, you kind of said that I'm trying to think of guys maybe who were winners, but didn't contribute as much as history likes to say i'm trying to think of a name with that kind of role because we know there's there's some out there um robert ory yeah that was kind of for my <laughs> myself robert ory i guess uh has to be up there um you know he did hit some big shots 
what, six-time champion? He averaged under 25 minutes a game. Right. Like, everyone knows that name in basketball. Big Shot Bob, right? Like, was he that big of a influence on those teams? Guess his, uh, guess his playoff averages. Seven? 7.9 points and 5.6 rebounds. Yeah, right. So to my to your my points that you uh, backed up, I, I think he has to be on my list. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, but like that shows, by the way, though, just how much winning can can mean to your legacy and what it does to your image and what it does to the, like right. the, to, to the respect, right? right? Like right the, because that that question of most overrated player it goes in that two elements, right? There's the Amari Stoudemire who hype, you know, multi level all star didn't win anything. Then you got a guy like Robert Orwe who won everything, but guys only averaged seven points a game, right? Like so, yeah, it's a definitely a two fold question. Uh, interesting conversations. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I agree one hundred. I, I agree wholeheartedly. By the way, you know who's another guy that deserves to be on this list? Hito Turkoglu. For his <laughs> one or two years where Hito Turkoglu, where everyone was like, "Oh, Hito Turkoglu, he's going to Toronto. This is going to be gigantic." Name one career moment. You <laughs> <Hito Turkoglu. laughs> had a big shot against uh, the Cavs when they upset them, right? <laughs> Right. Like, oh my gosh. Let's let's just just before we end the pod, I just gotta know what did Hito Turgaloo average as a Toronto Raptor? So he got he signed that big ass contract with Toronto and immediately averaged eleven points a game. Eleven Ooh. points a game. Bloody so. And of course, we know it's no secret. Next week, we'll be looking at most underrated players of all time from our. Ooh, so, oh, I can't go. wait for that. Yeah. I like it. But guys, speaking of underrated, this podcast, because you're not rating it on your podcast services. Be sure you go do that because this is from Math Court Reach. And every week, we talk all things NBA basketball, Detroit Pistons, all of our pain. And, and darkness that we feel inside in the basketball world. But if you like that, be sure you like this video. Subscribe to the channel. Be sure you share with your friends. Again, be sure you follow my guys on Twitter at JeffIF80, at TroySerie44. And if you're feeling oh so generous, you can follow me as well at Court. That is going to do it for today, though, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time from Half Court. Be sure you subscribe.